welcome in to the New Orleans Saints podcast presented by SeatGeek for Wednesday, November 11th. I'm Caroline Gonzalez, and on today's show, we have a packed schedule for you all. John DeShazer and I will sit down with Saints legend and future Saints Hall of Famer Roman Harper. Daniel Salerson will also interview Ben Heisler from Sports Illustrated to get you set for your fantasy football uh, roster this week. And also, we will welcome on Kelly Gibson to talk a little bit with Todd Graffinini about the Masters coming up this weekend. So again, a packed show for you all. You don't want to miss any part of it. We have a great conversation with Roman Harper. He talks about his new gig at SEC Network. He also talks about the Saints' big statement win over the Buccaneers last Sunday, and then he looks ahead to the Saints game against the 49ers. So great conversation with Roman. You don't want to miss it. Also get your fantasy roster set with Ben Heisler, and then get a little golf talk with Todd Graffinini and Kelly Gibson. All right, let's get straight into it. First up, our interview with Roman Harper. Roman, you've been pretty busy lately. How, how are things going on the SEC Network? It's going well. Um, I've really enjoyed it. Uh, I, I've really enjoyed my job, uh, technically my job. Um, I, I sit up there, I get to watch football, and it's a built-in excuse when I get home from work that, hey, babe, I, I can't go here. I can't do this. I have to work. I have to watch all these football games, which I would normally be doing now anyways, and now I get the built-in excuse. And it's just different because now uh, I've always been okay with, I guess, interviews or this whole interview process is very natural. But being able to cut all the other BS out and be able to deliver an analytical statement, uh, very opinionated, uh, back it up with one or two facts and be able to say all this, wrap it up with a really great vote in like 15 seconds. That's what TV is. And you can't go on this long tangent, but saying what you need to say, get out, don't over talk. All these little things of what a true analyst uh, is, is what I'm really working and trying to learn right now. Okay, so here you get a chance to really get on that tangent. So, you know, we know you, Bama, you know, through and through. And here it is, number one team in the nation again, Mac Jones, and even without Jalen Waddle, who is crazy good. <laughs> but, but just your thoughts on, you know, you're covering SEC, you're with the SEC network, obviously, but your thoughts on your school. Um, Alabama's really good. Um, I thought that they may take a step back or if they did that, they would have to run the ball with Najee Harris more to kind of open things up for Mac Jones. And I couldn't be the furthest thing from the truth. Mac Jones really came over taking the reins of this offense. He is one of the biggest reasons why they're having so much success. This offensive line is really, really good. They got three, four, five guys that are all going to be playing on Sundays. So um, they are loaded offensively. And for the first time you look at them and, defensively, Alabama's kind of taking a step back, and I think they're starting to find their way uh, as they're playing through this season. They have some young guys playing for them in different positions, but right now you like their chances. You think they're going to run through the SEC and maybe be undefeated heading into the college football playoffs. That's not a statement that I was uh, confident in saying at the beginning of the season, but watching these guys play, who else is left on their schedule, all the rest of the teams in the SEC, the things that they struggle with or their inconsistencies, you don't see that with Alabama. The biggest loss for me is, like you said, J.J., was the loss of Jalen Waddle um, because of everything he brings to that team. He's one of the more favorite players in that locker room, according to Nick Saban. And his speed, you can't replace. His big playability in the kicking game, you can't replace. His ability to be able to take the top off the defense and open everything up for all the other receivers around him, you cannot replace that. So uh, you may not notice or miss it right now, 
But when the competition gets better, when they have to play Florida in the SEC championship, or when they maybe have to play Clemson or Ohio State down the road, that is when I think that you could see those di uh, the difference in not having him. But as of right now, they will continue to build around the depth that they do have. They will continue to win games and win in a dominant fashion because of their offense right now. Roman, I am so embarrassed. I, I'm, I'm a journalist, okay? And I've been the lead. I am so embarrassed here. So, so because last time we talked to you, you were literally uh, in your car bringing your wife in from the hospital, getting ready to go They're home. They're pulling her down right now. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> so we ain't, we ain't say nothing about how's the family, how's the baby. We open this thing up all wrong. No, no, no. Don't say we. Don't loot me. <laughs> My next no, no, no. question was going to be the about the You didn't say a word. You, you didn't even say that. You can of worms talking about no. Alabama when you know we have LSU stands listening to this podcast. But Look, don't group in we. LSU, LSU, folks ain't, LSU folks ain't talking football these days, and you know it. <laughs> Hey, LSU, LSU is so happy that they're not playing Alabama this weekend. They couldn't be happier because Alabama was going to beat them. I, I'm telling you, it was going to get ugly for LSU. I watched LSU tape last night, and defensively, they are struggling. They don't know how to set an edge on the defense. They blow coverages all the time. The communication's bad. It's like teams run formations that they've never seen before. And when you see them talking, they seem like they're talking during the play. But once the ball is snapped, they have they have blown the gasket and somebody's wide open. And I think Alabama would have probably embarrassed them, beating them by 40 or more points. It would have been really ugly in Baton Rouge. Not a pretty sight. And uh, I'm pretty sure Ed Odron and those guys are not that mad that they don't have to play Alabama, nor can the SEC really have a find a date to be able to make it up either. So I think this game is not going to be played this year. And I, in all honesty, I don't think LSU is that mad about that. See, Caroline, you opened that one up. So I was asking about the family. That's what I was saying. So how's the family? How's the new, you know, like I said, last time we talked to you, you were literally loading the baby into the car to go home. So, yeah. I, how's the now family? that you remember, now that you bring that up, JJ, you're right. Uh, we were right there at the hospital. My wife had delivered my uh, my baby boy. Uh, his name's Soul. And he is doing well. He's four months now. He's a bundle of joy. He likes to laugh all the time, laugh all the time. He's kind of the happy baby. He's always hitting that, uh, I guess the yoga pose is the happy baby where you're grabbing your feet and you're rolling side to side. Um, so he does that all the time. Uh, he's very chunky. He's very fat, which everybody loves. Uh, and just my New Orleans people, they love a healthy baby. So um, <laughs> that is what it is. And I picked that up from there for so long. That's, they love healthy babies. They love it. So um and it's just really cool to actually see him grow. And I just can't wait to see what his personality is going to be like. How is he going to fit into my family? Uh, I have my my young, my my older son now who's four. Uh, he just wants, can't wait till he gets his younger brother can get older so he can fight him, right? That's all he wants to do <laughs> is fight his younger brother. And my oldest daughter, she's eight. So, you know, the kids being older, the girls especially, eight and six, they really help a lot. And um, my six-year-old, she does virtual school still. She's still from home. So whenever I'm trying to rip and run and she's not in class or has a break, she's the first one to go and grab him and help me out and want to fix his bottle for me and things like that. So it's good to just have this transition where we actually have older kids that can help us out with this newborn because having four kids is crazy. I would not suggest that you just go out there and have four <laughs> kids. Don't just line up and, you know, that I just, 
I would say be slow. Caroline, remember what we talked about, girl. Just take your time, Noted. brother. Take your time. Noted. Thank you. <laughs> Don't tell my mother. <laughs> um, Roman, so let's get back into football. Um, this Saints game or this past Saints game against the Buccaneers, I, we just need to know your impression. Just go off. Go off. The most impressive win I've seen um, for this Saints organization in easily the last four to five years. Huge win. Uh, the way they did it in the dominant fashion that they did, it's probably the most complete game that they've had uh, since Sean Payton has been there, according to some of the people that are inside that building. That when I say the complete game, not maybe the best team that they built or anything like the beat, but when I say everything worked, everything worked. Like no play that they called on offense or defense went bad. Everything went the Saints' way from all facets of the game. Offense, defense, special teams. So from that aspect of it, you love what happened. Uh, how can you continue to build on this? Hey, this is our benchmark, and we're just trying to get back to that part the rest of the year. And if we play like that, I like your odds for the rest of the season versus anybody else, especially against teams. You got to look in that playoff run because that's what it's all about is how are we seeding in the playoffs and who we're going to have to face. Seattle, they have no defense, so you're confident about that, especially with Drew all of a sudden starting to feel the strike. And Michael Thomas, you cannot put a value mark of him being back in this lineup. He just brings confidence. He's already, you know, he's a little bit more quiet, but he, I see him flex a little bit. So I see you, Mike. Just got to keep doing your thing and keep being a great teammate. And that would be the challenge for me. If I, if I talk to Mike, I love him to death. I love his fire, his passion. I noticed it in him his rookie year. And I told him, don't you ever lose that passion because that drive and that fire inside of you is what's going to propel you to be the best at what you do, right? And we've seen that happen. But now your next goal, Mike, is has to be, what can I do to not only, because I'm the best. He's the best at his position. He is, because what he does is outstanding. But how can he make everybody else around him better? So that is what the best players do. Eventually, they get to the top of their, their food chain, and then they start to make everybody else around them better. So now everybody gains elevate. So for me, that would be my continued challenge for Michael Thomas. I love seeing him in the lineup. Uh, this past week and uh, the Saints look great defensively they were awesome and they're not scared of Tom Brady so if they see Tom Brady down the road they can't wait excited line them up because right now they're 2-0 and and it doesn't look like Tampa Bay even has a clue of how to beat this Saints team. To go off of your previous point about you know everything looking good, I read a tweet that said um, on Sunday night against Tampa, the Saints had the best single game performance of any NFL team this century, which is bananas to think about this century. Uh, so, Roman, you've been a part of obviously many big wins with the Saints and Carolina. Um, when you're talking about now playing a team like San Francisco, that's kind of walking wounded, beat up. How easily or difficult is it to, I guess, flush the big, big win and get ready for the next team, knowing the situation that's going on with that next team? Well, you're, you're definitely going in confident. And the biggest thing is you want to have success early because the moment you start to have success early and they do not, their confidence goes down in the drain they, because they know, just like we know and everybody else does, this is not the same Super Bowl San Francisco 49ers team that you're playing against. So I know Sean will have a great game plan. Uh, Emmanuel Sanders, he's going to try and feature him. I'm sure of that. And he's going to try and get him some touches, especially in the red zone, to make sure he scores and does those other things. So you trust Sean, Sean Payton's game plan of what he's going to do to try and nullify or slow down or attack 
the matchups, the individual matchups that he likes to try and exploit on uh, for San Francisco's defense and Saints offense. And they're going to make those plays. And defensively for the Saints, they got to slow down this zone run game that they love to do. Uh, and they got to force some turnovers. They have to continue to affect this quarterback, whatever they're going to do. And they got to continue to play better. They got to continue to communicate in that back end. They've been giving up explosive pass plays all year long. And if they continue to clean that up, that is what's going to give them a chance to win the game because the quickest way to lose a game is over the top in the pass game. Yeah, Roman, what's human nature? How, how long does the thrill of victory last? Uh, in my plan days, like two or three days, because you used to go out and party and hang, you know, do my thing. That was always like two or three days, depending on how many shots or whatever I had going. But nowadays in this COVID area, it's like, it's legit 24 hours because nobody gets to hang out and do anything. <laughs> so Roman, you know, we've, ha have you had the difficulty that I feel like I've had, you know, what, what I had when I first started of getting players to kind of come down to your level and realize like, listen, I'm not asking to get this like, you know, over the top answer when you ask them like, oh, how do you, you know, come down from a game like you just had and get ready for this next week and you get the cliche answer of, you know, we're just focusing on one game at a time, you know, brick by brick, just building, listening to the game plan, all that stuff. How do you get the answers out of the players that you're looking for knowing that you were a former player and you've heard basically basically every question that's been asked. I think being a former player helps. And usually I'm not one-on-one -on -one with as many interviews. It's usually somebody else. So then like the main guy or the other person would be <laughs> asking that. And they, and, they, and they end up getting those answers that you're talking about, Caroline. They get those. And then I try and come from a more playful area or angle and then soften them up a little bit. Then all of a sudden you, you ask them one question and they go on this tangent for like two and a half minutes. Then you get everything. So I, I think being a player, a former player helps uh, to bridge that gap. And then, but overall, when you're in that locker room and you're asking those guys questions, you're going to get the normal X, Y, Z, A, B, C's of player questions and answers type thing. Like, oh, we don't want to tell anything. We don't want to give away anything. Because that is what has been drilled in their head since they were in college when they first start getting the microphone in the face all right, guys, we're not going to talk about this. We don't talk about injuries. We're not going to talk about our teammates, all these other things. So now if you're saying I can't talk about the game plan, I can't talk about my teammates, I can't talk about anything else. So what else do you other talk about besides, hey, we're just going to play this next game, play our next game, you know, just the, the cliche, total cliche answers. And Caroline, you have no chance. I'm sorry. Until <laughs> no you're there for like five, six years. You have no chance. Just no tell chance. Me. All right. I got to no. put in my time. So I'm not having kids anytime soon or I'm not going to get the answers I want. Good to know. <laughs> I like getting, I like where this podcast is going. Last question, Roman. Um, since I just asked you that, how difficult was it as a player? You know, Saints have 49ers who are banged up this week, as you just said, and then they have the Falcons. How difficult is it to not look ahead at, okay, what's next? You know, we got this feasting hopefully coming up and then, you know, we've got a, a Falcons team that we're ready to be. How hard is it to not look ahead? So uh, when it comes to NFL, you don't have time to look ahead because of your preparation throughout the week. You know, if we play Sunday, then Monday, well, they played Sunday night. So they probably have off Monday. Tuesday, we're going to be off. Then Wednesday, we're, hey, we're back to our regular Wednesday practice, the regular Wednesday grind. 8 a.m., we start with meetings. We install base, first, second down game plan. Thursdays, all third down nickel. 
and maybe some short yardage stuff. Well, no, that's Friday. Usually we'll do some red zone or we'll hit, go back on some base stuff and just kind of replay that stuff. Then Friday we add more into it. So you don't really have time to look ahead for Atlanta because you're just so focused on what the 49ers have been able to do. And you're just back in the grind. And that is one thing I, I talked to Nick Saban like a week or two ago and people do not appreciate like every win in the NFL is hard. It's a grind every week. And that is why you see guys so happy just to get a win. I mean, you could be one in 12 and guys are happy just be, and you could also be 12 and two and you still celebrate every win just about the same as you do because you know how much work it takes to put into it to get that win. And you don't always have that same struggle and grind on a week to week basis in college because teams are have such highs and lows when it comes to competition or what's on that roster. In the NFL, every team's good and everybody can win. So when you do get those wins, it counts. And now, and the only reason you celebrate division games a little bit more is because number one, you hate Atlanta. They're kind of whatever they are. They'll find a way to lose it. All right. But I can say that now. I can say that. They're going to find a way to lose it. And then you look up, but in the division, it counts too. So you want to make sure you get home field advantage. And the best way to do that is win your division and clinch that early. So they're on their, definitely on their way to do that. And the win against Tampa Bay helped. So for me, Caroline, it's all about you don't have time to look ahead because you're so much on the grind. You allow your family and your friends to do all that. They'll be the ones looking ahead to Atlanta because, you know, somebody knows a girl here or somebody has a friend for this fan base or whatever, whatever, whatever. That, that is all that is. It's all outside noise for your family. All outside noise. Well, Roman, I appreciate you not giving me the cliche answer and actually giving me some substance. I appreciate it. Didn't have to put five, four or five years in just yet, but I appreciate that. We also appreciate you coming on the show. We, uh, have you learned when you're going to be inducted to the Saints Hall of Fame? I know things have gotten pushed back a little bit because of COVID, but have you gotten any dates or anything? Uh, we do not have any solid dates, but I, I'm intending that they push it back to 2021 and I hopefully uh, it can still be just me and Jari and and being able to do that for, so we all feel safe and that this is not just a celebration of me or Jari Evans or, uh, or the radio broadcaster that, that's coming in. I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but yes. Um, yes. And, but it's more about all of our families that are also involved in all that. All, everything all being together. And uh, so at being able to have everybody come and be a part of that, I wouldn't want to take that away from them. So uh, hopefully they do it that way. And that's what they said that they intend to do. So I'm looking forward to it. Just know it's going to be a party whenever I come in. Just know that. And you're invited, Caroline. Yes. You, you are wow. Home. That is what I was waiting for. I am invited. You heard it here first. I'm going to snip this and save it forever. This is, when, this is when we introduced you right here. This is going to be the time, girl. <laughs> Just telling you. It's coming. 2021. <laughs> no doubt. Okay, I gotta go. That was Saints <laughs> legend, uh, future Saints Hall of Famer, SEC Network analyst, Roman Harper. Roman, we appreciate your time. Thanks, Caroline. Thanks, JJ. Y'all be good. All right, now I'll pass the ball to Todd Graffinini so he can sit down with Kelly Gibson to talk about the Masters beginning Thursday. Now joined on the show by Kelly Gibson, former PGA professional, who is also a huge Saints fan. We're going to talk a little Masters here on the Saints podcast. Kelly, thanks for your time, man. Interesting time of the year with the Masters going on. We're right in the middle of football season. The Saints are six and two but you ever thought we'd be talking masters in november no not not during football season uh, uh 2020's proven to be quite the year a little bit crazy at, at every level and and to be talking about the masters in november 
when normally we'd be focused on New Orleans Saints football and a playoff run and LSU Alabama week. It's a little bit crazy how this year has turned out to be. What a year. No question. Look, we're going to get into the Masters. Uh, I, I want to go back, and I know it's Wednesday, and you're supposed to turn the page, but I know we're all still basking in the glow of what we saw Sunday night in Tampa, the 38-3, just butt-whooping. Look, those nights or days don't come along very often if you're a Saints fan, and to be the talk of the NFL for the last couple of days, how sweet was it? It was very sweet. You know, I, I thought their energy level – was just dominant over, you know, the, the Buccaneers. They, they played faster. They they were converting at every level. Um, Drew was dialed in. Sean Payton's play calling was spot on. You know, it just they, it just looked like the Saints and, and the potential that they have all hit at once. You know, hopefully they, you know, as they compartmentalize that win and, and move forward and keep everybody healthy for the rest of the year, they could be really dangerous coming down the backside of this, this season. And that's a great point. I, I just think, number one, healthy, be healthy, uh, getting healthy. It, we've seen in the last couple of years what's really kind of derailed the seasons as they've gone on is guys have started getting nicked up, banged up, and, and that's ultimately cost us in the playoffs. But the team stays healthy. I think what we saw Sunday night now is they know what their potential can be, and that that's huge. Yes, very huge. You know, and, and it's the same for every team, right? They all got injuries. and But I think the Saints' depth showed the other night um, they played the full game and, and really was even more dominant than the score reflected. And, you know, it's good to see. I, I'm really a Drew Brees fan, been for a long time and, and love Sean Payton. I just think seeing those guys, that was magic the other night. It seemed like they, they could have scored at will. Um, they, they were spot on with, with their energy. It, it just looks like Alvin Kamara to me is a lot faster this year than he was last year. And, and they didn't even really need him last this past week you know he it wasn't a typical game for him because everybody else was there and everybody else was healthy all right awesome stuff again Saints six and two heading into san francisco this weekend in the dome at 325 let's transition to the masters coming up uh starting tomorrow it's unbelievable that we're going to have the masters in november uh look i am an unabashed masters fan my wife already knows on sunday i'm going to be a ghost uh, prior to the Saints game at 325. Uh, just, you talked about it, 2020, that's just the way it is. But the course, and again, just watching a lot of the coverage the last couple of days, it looks like it's going to be playing a lot different than it normally would be in April. Well, there's no doubt. I mean, it's a different time of season. The, the trees are going to be different. The, the, the thing that I haven't heard anybody talk about yet, the wind's going to come from a different direction than it probably traditionally will. And you throw the wind up in those tall pines and it does some kind of crazy stuff, especially down in Amen Corner, um, in particular on hole number 12. The, you all, they always talk about the, the wind response there. You know, it blows on 11, it stops on 12, it blows on 12, stops on 11. It's going to be fun as a fan this week to see how that affects because that, Augusta is a second shot golf course, you know, pretty generous off the tee, but you have real small hitting landing circles on the greens. And if you miss those, it can be really dangerous. And that's why you always have guys that shoot real low because they're hitting, everything's going their way. They're hitting the right spots on their second shot and then they're converting the putts. This time around in the fall, the grass is gonna be a little stickier um, with the rise is new. It hasn't right. had like time to grow in. 
Um, the greens probably will be Augusta greens. They, they are the best. Um, their bar is set so much higher than everybody else's. They can almost control their environment. It, it'll be Augusta National will deliver this weekend. You can bet on that. Something magical is going to happen. No question. The, the azaleas won't be blooming, so to speak, but the course is, is the show e each and every year to, you know, to watch it on HD television. And I know you've been there before. I was very uh, fortunate to watch uh, uh, the practice round in 05. That's the only time I've ever been on the grounds. That was the year Phil Milkelson won his first Masters. I'm a huge Phil fan, just being a fellow lefty. They literally had to drag me out of there. Uh, it, it's just so beautiful. Uh, but, you know, it, the course itself, it doesn't matter what time of the year it is, it's it's going to deliver on television. Yes, it's just got a beautiful layout. And the fact that, you know, I, I talked to one of their members one time and I said, how is it that you, you guys do this consistently every year? And they said, well, having something that was perfect when we got it, having an unlimited budget <laughs> and putting those two together gives us the ability to deliver every year. So they spare no expense on preparation. Um, they dialed it in at every technology level. They've got sub air systems underneath the grass on the greens and in the key spots for drainage. So they can, they almost can control the environment. Now they might be getting some weather um, and it'll be interesting to see how their agronomy team can, can alleviate the issues that come with rainy conditions. But I think at, at the end of the day, Augusta has proven over time to be just spectacular uh, venue. It's, it's almost a, a religious site for most people. Um, when you go there and visit, it's special. They, they check, check every box there is from uh, fans perspective, from engagement to course setup to rules, to even the way they shape their trees. You know, they start trimming their trees at a certain age so that they get to lean the tree the way they want to lean it. Wow. Um, so they control Mother Nature a little bit at, at that place. Talking with Kelly Gibson, former PGA professional, as we have now Masters Weekend in November. You mentioned the patrons, Kelly, and that is something that has been discussed the last couple of days. No patrons there. So the roars through the pines, you're not going to hear them. That is going to definitely be different. And the golfers have already talked about it. Uh, for the practice rounds. I mean, you saw the shot that John Rahm hit yesterday. Can you imagine oh. the roar that would have went up on 16 if he would have made that shot? It's it, going to be strikingly different. Yeah, it would have been amazing. First off, Ricky hits it in there three feet doing the same right, shot. Right. And then John knocks in the hole in one. It's, it's, it's going to be different. There's no doubt about it. It's going to be really interesting how that plays out. You know, you start looking at the guys that benefit from, uh, you know, Take Bryson DeChambeau, for example. You know, he has people who love what he's doing, and he has people that don't love what he's doing. He has certainly been the talk of the town right now on how he's going to attack Augusta National with 350-yard, 380-yard drives. But is he a crowd favorite? Well, he doesn't get the crowd noise that Tiger Woods gets ever and probably never will. And certainly Phil Mickelson um, is a crowd favorite, and Freddie Couples and many, many others. So it might play to – a guy like Bryson's advantage without the crowd. And then somebody like Patrick Reed, who's a little bit of a hot button for some people. Um, but it also might play to Tiger's advantage and Mickelson's advantage because they all know the environment a little bit better. So it's going to be, we're going to have to wait and see how that unfolds. 
but it could go both ways. Mickelson and Tiger are definitely going to miss the adrenaline that comes with loud roars. Like when you make an eagle on 13 right. or you're making a charge Sunday afternoon on number 15 and you get on that green and two and you make an eagle there, that is a big deal. And that can influence everybody on the 16th hole, the 17th hole. They might have to change their strategy. They won't know exactly what's going on this time around. In the business, we call that a segue. And I am so very glad you mentioned Bryson DeChambeau because I was going to ask you about him. Um, I am of the latter, uh, as far as you mentioned. I Look, that's just my personal opinion. I'm not a big fan. I, you know, he can do what he wants. The object of the game of golf is to get the ball in the hole with as few strokes as possible. He's going about it his way. To me, Kelly, look, I play golf. I'm not a golfer like you. I get the most satisfaction of hitting an approach shot on the green. That that's that to me is the game of golf to me. Look, I know you got to putt. I know you got to do everything else, short game, blah, blah, blah. If I hit a seven iron on the green to about 15 feet, I'm ecstatic walking up. I just don't think as someone who is a big fan of golf, I don't think it's aesthetically pleasing for someone on a, on a 580 yard par five to hit a sand wedge or a wedge onto the green for their second shot. I, I just, that's just me from a professional. What are your thoughts? Well, I, I made a career out of hitting it long. So yeah, but I, were, you hitting, a, were you, hit, you hitting a sand wedge on, on, you know, 600 yard par fives. I mean, <laughs> no, no, but occasionally maybe okay. a down one, a downwind okay. one in Ireland. Yeah. Okay. Maybe so. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. But no, you know, here, here's my take on it. I've always said, even you can go back and, and talk to my friends from the 80s. I always thought that we would wind up getting some type of athlete that was six foot plus <laughs> that had speed, power combined. And if he was taught the game before he developed his body, then it would be sort of this magical um evaluation or evolution of of what what Bryson's sort of becoming I mean he's doing things that nobody thought could be done we used to I used to be a long baller like in the top in the world um and I'm 5 11 on my best day really about 5 10 but I had gigantic hands and I had speed power and I could hang with those guys but he's essentially become one of those guys you see in these long drive contests right. and he's got short game, accuracy, accuracy, yeah. mental capability. And he's got a unique disposition in the fact that he uses all the same length clubs. He's a one plane swing guy. So it is clicking. It's going to be really interesting to see if he changes the game in such a way that the teachers have to start adjusting how they teach younger players. And we're going to get, Look, we're probably going to get more people going to all the clubs are going to be a seven iron, right? And then you've got him. I played with Mo Norman. I know what he's trying to do with his golf swing. Um, I think it's just phenomenal. He's he's proven to be a really strong athlete who is pushing every button to get better. So that's what I love about it. Right. It's making people uncomfortable. And I think it's bad for the game in a lot of ways. It's bad for course design it's bad for traditional layouts i mean he was making a little bit of a mockery of wingfoot by where he was driving the mm -hmm. ball but look at how dominant he was because he puts good <laughs> when right. he's putting good he puts good he puts good enough to win he won a u.s open so i think it'll be interesting to see 
you know, and Augusta guys, they're, they're sitting there trying to figure out how to trick him up for sure. Kelly, they're, again, we're, you're leading into my next thing. I'm just thinking of all those members thinking if he drives one and then if he hits it through the pines on 13, like he was talking about and going on to the 14th fairway for his approach to the 13th green to take an angle. I mean, these guys got to be going, you got to be kidding me. What do you do? Bobby Jones must be doing tumble sets in his grave. <laughs> There's no doubt. You know, I, what's going to happen is that they're going to wind up resurrecting this, this bifurcation of the rules. You know, do we have a set of rules that apply to professional golfers? Once they turn pro, you're, you're play, you have to play this style of golf club. You got to play this restricted golf ball. Because if, if we don't have that discussion, then every club in the New Orleans market becomes obsolete very quickly. Um, and, and that is probably a discussion that will be forced if he winds up having a fantastic week because they're going to have to do something. If he starts bombing it over the trees, right. like they're anticipating, and wind's a factor there. But if he hits it over the trees on 13 and he's hitting a nine iron back across, well, now he's changed He's changed everything. I hope, I hope he does some of that because it's <laughs> going to be fun. It's going to be fun for, for the telecast. Like, like number one is what, 430 yards kind of up, down, up a hill. I mean, if he drives it 50 yards short of that green, they're going to be going nuts on the television. No question. And, you know, number two, if he can take it up over the trees and he's hitting a seven or eight iron in there, it's going to be, he's going to steal the telecast. But if he can also, they, they can trick it up. They'll trick it up some kind of way. They'll figure it out. Just a couple more minutes with former PGA pro Kelly Gibson. Again, talking masters here. It is masters week on the saints podcast presented by seat geek. Look, Bryson's gotten all the, the pub. We, we heard from tiger yesterday. Of course, he's the defending champion. He's got, he's got the green jacket. I'm a Phil guy. He's won three times. Uh, you know, Freddie couples is going to, going to be in there at, at least after the first round. <laughs> no one is talking about Dustin Johnson or Brooks oh. Kepka. It's crazy. These are the best golfers in the world, and all these other guys are getting all the pub. Uh, Morikawa's had a great get, had a great summer. There, Rory. There's a lot, Rory. Uh, there's a lot of guys that could win this term, especially if it's going to be playing longer, and you've got these bombers that are going to put it out there with these short irons into the green. Well, keep remembering what I said earlier in the telecast. It it's a second shot golf course. The bombers, even if they have an eight iron in the hand, doesn't mean that's going to be easy shot. Because your your window frames that you got to put the ball through are very very tight there, so you miss a window frame approach into a green and it kicks left. Now you got a fifty footer on greens that are rolling thirteen or fourteen with the with every green jacket wanting guy in the field, and so that'll be interesting. So that's why I say they'll trick up the the course as best they can. I think what would be awesome for the the fan out there would be for me to see a tiger Phil shootout before they get too old. Oh, give it to um, me. Could you imagine that? And give throw, it to me. I'm th- and throw I got the young guys in there. About it. I got throw, throw, Brooks, about it. throw Brooks and his confidence level and Dustin and the have, you know, we want to get one of those old Jack Nicholas's versus, you know, Johnny Miller versus Tom Weisskopf. I'm showing my age, but when they were staring each other down and Nicholas is knocking on a 40 footer or, they, that's what Augusta delivers every year is some type of magic moment. And I hope that the fall weather um, proves to be even different, but even special in the way that it can deliver. But look, could you imagine 
this headline, Tiger Phil going into the finals and over their shoulder, you get Bryson mm. Brooks and Dustin Johnson and throw in some of the younger guys. Uh, it would be off the charts. It'd be off the charts. And look, it could happen too, because those two know the course so well. And that's the uniqueness about Augusta is it's the same tournament every year. You go U.S. Open, Open Championship, the venues change. Augusta is Augusta. And these guys know every nook and cranny, every break, every incline. That's what makes it so special. What's going to be unique about what you just said will be this. If a putt that they have written in the yardage book is a half inch out left and their ball sitting there and they know it and they've dialed in their speed, well, then all of a sudden you throw fall conditions in. Right. And it, you know, that's how well they know that golf course. The experienced guys, they know it. Like they know everything about that golf course. And so it'll be unique about the fall conditions. The wind direction is going to be a little bit different probably. Um, the grass texture is going to be a tad bit different. Um, and hopefully this rain doesn't impact it. They can play it hard and fast, which is probably what the members at Augusta probably want is hard and fast. Two more for you, Kelly. And again, thank you so much for your time. Uh, you got a pick? Wow, oh, man. I knew you were going to do that. I, I mean, <laughs> I, I got to do it. I got to uh, do it. You know, um, I think it's, I just want a fantastic finish with the superstars. I mean, I, I would love to see, I, I like Dustin Johnson. I like Brooks, you know, Tiger would be just phenomenal. It would get him one step closer to Nicholas's majors. Um, I think Bryson's got his work cut out for him. Um, there'll be so much noise if he gets in contention. Rory probably wants it more than anyone else. Um, I think it would be fantastic if Mickelson gets in the hunt. He's He'd be the oldest guy to ever win. Um, that Certainly, he's, a, he's capable of doing it if his putting can hold up. But this might be the year you see somebody that's not as experienced um, and there's a handful of guys out there that are certainly proven themselves well. I mean, Hideki Matsuyama played great last week. Nobody from, from Japan has ever played well or has won a major. So he, I'm saying, I don't know about that, but it hasn't won the masters. Um, so, so, but if I got to pick one guy, right. <laughs> one guy, Oh man, let's go with Dustin Johnson. All right. Well, you really went out of I you just don't know. I don't know if he putts good enough to win it, but the the PGA pro is picking the number one guy in the number one golfer in the world to win the Masters. I mean, that is the thickest of thick limbs. I mean, that's unbelievable. Kelly Gibson, incredible. Well, look, look, that's who I'm picking for your show. That uh, might not be who I'm okay. betting on. Well, I'm, <laughs> it's, it's all it's all Phil all the time, baby. Oh, so, give me Phil. Give me Phil. I will root for that man until he can't swing a golf club anymore. All right. One, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, I was going to say, okay. I am a huge Phil Mickelson fan. No doubt about it. I just think my, if I had my way, if I'm asking for a perfect scenario, him and Tiger going at it on Sunday. Give it to me. Absolutely. All right. One final thing. Look, let's talk about your foundation. Uh, you do such incredible work, especially uh, with the local kids learning the game of golf. You do so much with that. I know you got big, big events coming up this weekend. Tell the fans about it. Yeah, well, I appreciate you asking. You know, so we started in, in 2005 in the days after Katrina. Um, we focus on three primary things. Uh, first responders, if there's a need there, we try to assist how we can. We dedicate a lot of our programming to military causes um, and saluting all the veterans out there today 
thank you for your service to our country in a past and present. Um, this week, we are hosting uh, Swing Hard for Soldiers at Chifuncta National um, Golf Course over here in Covington. You like how I put Chifuncta National in there? Fantastic. Um, sold out event. Uh, it's our third year. Um, Oscar J. Tolmas Foundation uh, puts up some money to help us raise money for a scholarship fund. This year, we'll be awarding 14 scholarships, $25,000 in value to 14 kids from uh, the Gulf Coast region. Um, we do other military things throughout the year. Our primary main focus is on children's athletics and using golf as a platform to succeed. That's that's kind of what we know. We're, we're a small staff. It's uh, We've got two people, my wife and I, assist in a lot of different capacities. I have a 13-person board. Um, we've been around 15 years now. This past summer, we had 219 kids participating. We, we produce about 17 events. I have a phenomenal young executive director by the name of Taylor Kapouch doing an incredible job. We award about $60,000 in scholarship programming through, through the summer programming. We have a lot of partners in the community that are involved with that. The Mackle Foundation, the Four Kids Foundation, the BC Cup. Um, Jimmy Hedrick and many, many others that participate, but we're sort of the platform that, that creates the opportunities. And then at the end of the year, I, I named the tournament after Tommy Moore, who was my mentor back in the eighties and nineties, unfortunately passed away in 1998. So we do a, a national junior golf tournament at TPC Louisiana, um, the week between Christmas and new year's. And I'm happy to say that our application deadline was uh, this week. Uh, we're going to have 17 states represented in the country of, of Mexico. So 84 kids will be traveling to New Orleans during a pandemic and um, playing a two-round tournament that will be covered by many, many college coaches. And uh, we have a truly national field. So it's going to be exciting. Our foundation is doing really, really, really well. So excited about it. It's been a good year for us. That's awesome stuff, man. Just uh, thank you again for do, doing what you do, the local community. I know everyone is very, very grateful. Kelly Gibson, can't thank you enough for being on the show, man. Uh, enjoy the Masters. Get locked in. I know you're going to be locked in all weekend long. Enjoy the Saints game. And just thank you for joining us on the, on the uh, Saints podcast presented by Siki. Last but certainly not least, Daniel Salerson sits down with Ben Heisler from Sports Illustrated to get you set for fantasy football. Thanks, Caroline. Week 10 is approaching in the NFL, and of course, that means it's time to set your fantasy football lineups. And to help us with that, we welcome in Ben Heisler, as we always do every Wednesday, host, analyst, and editor for SI Gambling and SI Fantasy. Ben, how are you this week? I'm good, Daniel. How you doing, man? Good, good. I normally don't start with defenses, but I am going to start with the Saints defense. And of course, they had a great showing against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, 38-3 to with your final score. Um, looking at the schedule for the Saints in the next four weeks, you have the 49ers, the Falcons twice, and the Broncos. Are they a defense that maybe uh, fans can pick up? I think so. I, I think so much of it starts with their ability to get a lot of pressure generated up front. You saw Tom Brady was very uncomfortable last week. And then 
Um, I, I think we've seen a bit of a resurgence in Marshawn Lattimore. I, I, he struggled the first half of the season, was trying to get some consistency. I think he was hurt. He obviously missed a couple weeks, and now he's looking and playing much, much better. So uh, defense and fantasy, as you know, Daniel, is always about matchup. It's always about opportunity. If you have a hot defense, sometimes you can ride that team for a while. So as long as the schedule is productive and you know you don't worry that they're going to be in too many shootouts the rest of the way, uh, their ability to get pressure up front, to take the football away, uh, play really good defense. Uh, yeah, I, I absolutely think they're streamable at this point. Uh, speaking of streaming defenses, this is the question that I've always had uh, with experts like yourself as far as whether you go with the strategy of trying to stay with one defense the entire year if you have a top five defense or one do you stream every week based on matchups you, you pick and choose kind of based on schedules. What side do you fall on as far as uh, the defenses are concerned? I'm fully on, on team stream the defense. There, there really hasn't been very few, very many teams that you can feel really consistent on every week. I mean, maybe the Ravens, they're currently the number one defensive team in the NFL, but they've had some moments where you know, they've given up a bunch of points and bunches. Same thing with the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, you saw that in the second half uh, against Baltimore last week where they really struggled to contain Lamar Jackson. Uh, and then Pittsburgh, you know, Pittsburgh starting to you know, showcase what they should have been, which was a top five defense all year. But there have been plenty of games where they let teams like Tennessee from a few weeks ago really get back into the game. And they seem to sort of take their, their foot off the pedal a little bit. So I always look for advantageous matchups. Essentially, if you're, you're playing the Jets, that's usually one of my favorite defensive yeah. matchups of the week. Didn't work out for the Patriots if I because I started them and then ended up costing me a win. But the majority of the time, Daniel, I do think defenses, especially if you can find the better matchup, you can go up against teams that are more turnover prone. Uh, those are what's really going to add up your points. Uh, there's really not much of a difference between the top three teams. And then if you go down, maybe, you know, the final six or seven, it, it just tends to be a week by week thing, unless you're just elite at the top. Very interesting perspective. Uh, I like it. I like it. Uh, let's go to waiver wire pick as we talked about the saints potentially being a waiver wire pick as far as defenses are concerned, but what about, um, some other players that you have your eye on this week. Yeah, I really like the opportunity for Tua Tagovailoa. You know, the first week he played, he just didn't really get into a whole lot of a passing rhythm, still ended up getting the win. And uh, that fourth quarter, something happened, and you saw that magic that we saw from him throughout his time at Alabama. Uh, he just had some terrific moments, really athletic, escaping a lot of pressure in the pocket. Um, and I think there's some weapons around him. Now, obviously, Preston Williams going down uh, is a pretty rough injury, but more Devontae Parker, more Mike Gusecki in the middle of the field. Um, they're using their running backs in pass catching roles. So I think two is in a really interesting spot this week. Um, and then Duke Johnson, definitely a guy to be able to keep your eye out for. I, I've always thought Daniel that he was a really talented guy that just was always underutilized. And that continued throughout, you know, his time in Houston after he got traded from Cleveland, uh, assuming that David Johnson remains in concussion protocol, we saw what Duke Johnson can be in this offense as the lead back. He has the ability to catch passes. He's an elusive guy that you can go in and move in between tackles. Um, he's probably already gone, uh, but if there's a possibility in your league that uh, everyone's a little bit late to the waiver wire or uh, maybe they don't push waivers through until Thursday, he's probably one of the big uh, pickups, at least for this week. Uh, someone that I've been uh, riding their coattails the last couple of weeks is Dalvin Cook in one of my leagues, who has been sensational with so many touchdowns and, man, over 400 yards. Um, I I'm not someone that's looking to trade him right now just because of how well he is, but I know some people might be out there thinking this is a chance to sell high. Who knows if he can put up these type of numbers for the rest of the year. Um, if you have Dalvin Cook, one, do you think with the, based on their schedule, can he keep this up? And two, if there's an opportunity to sell high on him, would you? 
I don't know if I would sell high on an elite level running back. Remember, Dalvin Cook was somebody that probably was drafted number five, number six overall in your fantasy league this year. Like those are the guys that are your building blocks, your foundational pieces for your team. As to whether or not he can continue to keep it up, I mean, the last two weeks he's had, let's see, 46.6 fantasy points in that game against Green Bay. Follow that up with 37.2 fantasy points in PPR. Uh, against Detroit. And in those games, he only had two receptions. So we think about PPR monsters like Alvin Kamara, who's targeted, you know, six to 10 times in the passing game and putting up monster numbers. Well, Dalvin Cook is essentially doing all of it on the ground. So if he gets back into a passing game and he's had a game this year where he's caught five passes, I mean, the sky's the absolute limit. Minnesota has recognized that they need him to win. They have to build their offense directly through the running game. And it also helps Kirk Cousins opening up play action. If you rely on Cousins, then that's going to be a problem for you. So the last thing the Minnesota needs is to get down early in a game because then they're going to go away from Cook. He's not somebody that I'm looking to sell high on because I, I do think the schedule is favorable. They have matchups against Carolina in week 12, Jacksonville in week 13. Uh, the Bears defense for as good as they've been have had issues against the run and that's a playoff matchup. So yeah, I, I'm not looking to sell high on Dalvin Cook. If anything, you know, I'm trying to find ways to get him on my team. Yeah, I completely agree. I'm definitely not letting him go. That's for sure. That's been Heisler, host analyst, editor for SI Gambling and SI Fantasy. He's a great follow on Twitter, at Benny Heis. He can help you out with any of your fantasy football questions every week, and that's why we have him on here on the Saints podcast. Ben, I appreciate the time. We'll talk to you next week. All right, Daniel, looking forward to it. All right, Caroline, back to you. As promised, a packed Wednesday show for you all here on the New Orleans Saints podcast presented by SeatGeek. We don't want to let the go the show finish up without wishing a happy Veterans Day to all of our veterans. Thank you so much for your bravery, for your service, and beyond what you do. doesn't always go recognized, but we want to appreciate you today and every day for all of your service and bravery for our country. So thank you, and happy Veterans Day from me, Carolyn Gonzalez, and all of us here at the New Orleans Saints. We hope you feel appreciated and valued today because you truly, truly are. All right, that'll do it for our New Orleans Saints podcast presented by Seeky for Wednesday, November 11th. We'll have another show for you on Friday with NFL Network's Cynthia Freeland, so you don't want to miss that. All right, for Caroline Gonzalez, John DeShazer, Roman Harper, Todd Graffinini, Kelly Gibson, Daniel, ha- Daniel Salerson, and Ben Heisler, all of the gang, we want to appreciate you for listening to the New Orleans Saints podcast presented by Seeky.